Maine's Political Pulse is made possible by Lee Jeep with the new Jeep Wrangler and Grand Cherokee 4xE plug-in hybrid models at Lee Jeep in Auburn and Westbrook. LeeAuto.com. And welcome to the latest edition of Maine's Political Pulse. I'm Erwin Gratz. With me is Steve Missler, Maine Public Statehouse Bureau Chief and Chief Political Correspondent. Kevin Miller is off. The new legislature assembles next week at the State House. The scene is a little like drop-off day at college or camp. There'll be lots of friends and family about, reconnecting with old friends, making new ones. But there'll also be some real work, mostly ceremonial, to get the Maine House and State Senate organized for the session ahead. And Steve, beneath all the smiles, there'll be a glimpse, too, at how the parties will get along later. Yeah, Erwin, swearing-in day is always accompanied by rhetoric and about bipartisanship and comedy. And I think that those sentiments are sometimes genuine. But look, this is politics. And while we've seen a fair share of bipartisanship in Augusta over the past few years, we've also seen some pretty bitter partisan disputes. Now, some of this stems from the fact that a lot of national political issues have been pushed down into state legislatures. And as legislative campaigns become more nationalized and outside groups get involved, in the influence campaigns, there's sometimes can be hard feelings between lawmakers who are attacked by those groups during the campaigns. But I think the next two years will be interesting for the main legislature. We have a semi-new slate of legislative leaders, including uh, a completely new crop of GOP leaders who are in the minority again and who are hoping to guide their party out of the wilderness after a pretty tough election year. So these early days will be a bit of a test for them. It will also be a challenge for the Democratic leaders who either retain their positions or uh, who are climbing the ranks of leadership now. Uh, The new legislators are also going to face some pressing issues. What are some of those? Right. I think lawmakers, especially leaders, always come in with a set of policy priorities. But it's been a while since big problems loom so large over the beginning of a session like this. Some of the issues will dominate the agenda for the early part of the session. And, and leading the list is the high cost of home heating oil and electricity. Governor Janet Mills is already preparing an emergency bill to provide some relief for those soaring prices. And that bill could be introduced and and possibly enacted as soon as Wednesday, which is the same day that lawmakers take their oaths. Now, the idea behind getting that bill passed so quickly is to provide some relief before really cold temperatures set in and also before those new electricity rates go into effect on January 1st. Mills and the legislature have a really small window to get something done before then. And that window basically opens and closes on Wednesday unless lawmakers decide to hold additional session days this month, which would be highly unusual. Uh, Typically, they come in for swearing-in day and then don't come back until the session really begins in January. But the key to getting this done is getting all four caucuses, including the Republicans, on board because the bill would need a a supermajority, basically, uh, to get passed as an emergency and enacted before January 1st. And that's what's being discussed as we tape this segment on Friday morning. I wonder if that's all made a little easier uh, by the news this week that the state is still running in surplus and is going to have an extra uh, quarter billion dollars to spend by the end of the year. Right. That will certainly help. And and that, that's, that forecast that you referenced uh, was actually something that the Mills administration was waiting for because they want to get a sense of well, how much money do they have here 
that could be provided by way of uh, emergency relief. And so that additional surplus will certainly help, although you know it wasn't as large as the one that the state had last year, which was over a billion dollars. Well, another uh, longer term challenge is the lack of attorneys to represent poor defendants. A retiring Maine Superior Court Justice William Anderson told the Bangor Daily News he's frustrated with the shortage of lawyers willing to represent poor defendants. Now, Steve, this is an issue that it seems could be solved with more money, but is that the only way it could be solved? Well, I think more money might be a short-term fix, Erwin, but lawmakers probably have to contemplate once again whether Maine's system of providing indigent defense is sustainable. Remember that we're the only state in the country that almost exclusively uses private attorneys to accommodate indigent clients. That system has come under scrutiny for the quality of defense provided, and more recently by the fact that private attorneys just aren't signing up to participate. That's why the director of the Maine Commission on Indigent Legal Services has called for an emergency appropriation that would increase the hourly reimbursement rate paid to those private attorneys. And the idea is that the private attorneys would have more of an incentive to get, to get on the indigent defense roster. But there's a larger policy question here about whether Maine should continue to throw more money at this current system or overhaul it entirely and create a public defender's office, which is what most states use in some fashion. Now, there's a big cost associated with that kind of change. And if you look around the country, public defender's offices don't always solve the problem of providing quality defense for the poor. And it's so that's a big issue, Erwin. And I think it's going to take a lot of work to fix and a lot of consideration for this new legislature, too. Uh, last session, the legislature passed a measure that loosened zoning restrictions across the state in a bid to ease the housing shortage that has contributed to an affordability crisis. Are legislators going to be returning to that issue in this upcoming session? Yes. In fact, uh, House Speaker-elect Rachel Talbot Ross and Senate President Troy Jackson announced this week that they'll be creating a standing committee to tackle this problem. And I would expect that that committee will take a longer term look at solutions. But there's also the, the immediate problem involving the end of the federal program that was created during the pandemic that provided emergency housing assistance for people struggling to pay rent and utilities. That program is expiring, and it's already creating some issues for municipalities, not to mention the people who are benefiting from it, because as the federal assistance goes away, people are flocking to general assistance programs for help. Now, the state provides 70% reimbursement to municipalities for general assistance because they administer the program, but only if applications are processed within 24 hours. And that's a concern that town officials have because they're worried they won't be able to deal with that crush of new applications in a way that meets that processing requirement. And to give you a sense of how widely that federal program was used during the pandemic and, and even now, it provided $285 million to 34,000 Maine households, including 8,500 households that were still using it as of late October. So that's a pretty big need. And I should also say that that need is not confined to larger communities like Portland or South Portland or Lewiston. It's spread all around the state. So the assistance that's needed and the general assistance needed is, is widespread. And so lawmakers are going to have to figure out what they're going to do to, to, to solve that problem. Are they going to 
changed the processing requirements, to loosen it a little bit so that municipalities can still process these applications and get that state reimbursement rate? Or are they going to do something more dramatic to overhaul the program? We'll have to wait and see, but that's a very big issue that the legislature has to tackle this session. The uh, next federal election will be in two years. That's when President Biden may or may not seek re-election. But independent Senator Angus King also needs to decide if he wants to run for a third six-year term. Uh, Steve, do we have any clue as to his thinking? Well, there's been a lot of speculation that King, who is 78, might retire at the conclusion of his term that ends in 2024. But the two-term governor is already throwing cold water on that speculation. This week, his spokesman, Matthew Felling, confirmed that King is most likely going to seek re-election in 2024 and that a formal announcement would come sometime next year. Now, if he's able to win re-election, King would become the oldest member of Congress from Maine to ever serve. But he certainly wouldn't be an anomaly in the current Congress, where 25% of Congress is over age 70, which is the highest it's ever been. Um, I should add that by signaling his intent to seek re-election now, King will also have an effect on potential challengers. Not only will he likely discourage a challenge by a prominent Democrat, but he might not get a top-tier Republican challenger either. And that's because he remains very popular with voters, and he would be considered a favorite to win re-election if that's in fact what he decides to do. Finally, uh, President Biden held a state dinner at the White House for French President Emmanuel Macron. Unity among old allies was the theme, but there was some domestic discord over the choice of lobster to be part of the menu. Steve, I'm wondering what kind of politics were behind putting lobster on the menu in the first place. Well, that's a great question, Erwin. But I'm wondering if the White House actually missed the political implications of flying in 200 live Maine lobsters for a big state dinner at a time when federal regulators are imposing new restrictions on that industry that the industry says could cripple it. And and, and that's exactly what Governor Janet Mills tweeted about this week as word spread that lobster was on the menu during that state dinner. Uh, she said that she was glad that lobster was served, but she also urged the, urged the president to, con- to recognize that Maine lobstermen want to continue to provide that product without what she called burdensome and scientifically questionable regulations. Uh, Second District Congressman Jared Golden was even more pointed in his remarks, saying that the president should take the time to meet with the lobstermen that his administration is currently, quote, regulating out of business. And uh, Senator Susan Collins uh, also chimed in, but she was more critical of retailers, including Whole Foods, which recently announced that it was that it's going to stop buying Maine lobster over concerns that fishing gear is pushing uh, right whales closer to extinction. Uh, it's also worth noting that Senator Collins also happened to attend the state dinner, so she was able to enjoy that uh, Maine delicacy. He's Steve Missler, Maine Public State House Bureau Chief and Chief Political Correspondent, and that's Maine's Political Pulse for this week. We update this podcast on Fridays. You can, of course, uh, listen to it or download it from mainepublic.org or wherever you get your podcasts. We can also tell you that there is more about Maine politics in the Maine's Political Pulse newsletter, which is online at mainepublic.org. And you can also sign up there to have it emailed to you each Friday morning. And you can hear a part of Maine's Political Pulse on Friday afternoons, All Things Considered. Music is by Rob Holt. I'm Erwin Gratz. We'll see you again soon. 
here on maine's political pulse.